Thank you, Tab. Appreciate that. Well, my name is Rob McElvoy. I'm one of the members here at the church, a wannabe uh, elder, but that didn't happen. Um, I was on my way, but we're moving in a couple weeks. Um, it's so great to be with you guys um, this morning. Wanted to give a shorter, just kind of a shorter sermon this morning. Just something that's been on, really kind of on my heart, uh, kind of reflects kind of how my wife and I were really impacted by this church when we came here a year and a half ago. So let me pray and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you for this time. God, would you uh, allow us to be, help us to be open to what your spirit has for us. May your word, your living and active word teach us Guide us, convict us, encourage us this morning, God. May my words be your words in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we live in a time where it seems like you can, all, you can almost know almost everything about someone. I mean, you can get, how many of you, I mean, I've kind of got into this weird habit now. I'm watching something and I Wikipedia that person. I want, I want to know. I want to know more. Okay, I'm, I'm my peaked interest. Now, for those of you that are younger, that was never a thing just so you know. And so it's really cool. But you can. You can pretty much know everything about people. We can get a ton of information by just a few uh, clicks on the, in the internet. Yet here's the thing. There is a big difference between knowing a lot about someone and really knowing someone. We, I think we know this, but with our day of the internet and social media, a lot of times I think we feel like we're known or we know people when we just know a lot about them. To simply know a lot about a person doesn't require you really to do a lot of experience, experiential involvement in their life. Even though you might be around them a lot, it's possible to be around someone a lot and not really know them, just know a lot about them. To truly know someone requires really that we, we move into their world really in such a way that allows us to actually observe and to experience their world. Really to learn what, it, what makes them tick, what's important to them, what pleases them, what hurts them, what disappoints them. What are some of their greatest fears? That's what it means to really know someone. And really this idea is true concerning our relationship with God. There's a big difference in knowing a lot about God and knowing God. Now, this may sound very elementary, but as we get into the scripture this morning, we're going to see that it's a very prevalent issue in our time today. The truth is that there's a vast amount of people in this world that would call themselves Christians that think they know God, but really actually know a lot about God. J.I. Packer, in his classic book, he says, in Knowing God, says this, interest in theology and knowledge about God and the capacity to think clearly and talk well on Christian themes is not at all the same thing as knowing him. He goes on to say in his book, he says that we can even know as much about God as the greatest theologians and yet still hardly know God at all. And actually, it's a tragedy that a person can be deceived into thinking that they know God when the truth is that they, we only know a lot about him. Yet really, it happens all the time. I think it's a major ploy of the enemy. Yeah, yeah get a ton of knowledge. Just get a ton of knowledge about God, and you're in. You know him. And it's a trap that a lot of people fall into. 
And the real tragedy is that simply knowing a lot about God and not actually knowing him can really lead to some really dangerous, incorrect beliefs, not only about God, but about others and about ourselves, because really God is the ultimate source of truth. We're only going to find ultimate truth in him that enables us to really know him and to know ourselves and to know others. I'm a, I'm a part-time therapist, but I'm also, a, uh, I decided as I was doing that, I really needed to be more leaning towards being a biblical therapist. So I got my training in being a biblical counselor. And I have found that even though having my MFT in, if from school, having a biblical counseling piece has really opened up my, the way that I work with clients, the way I work with people, and, and using God's word, the powerful truth that is there to help. The, it's helped me tremendously as I'm helping people realize, listen, you're the righteousness of God in Christ, like Jared read this morning. You're righteous. How, how do we then, but how do we know that in our head, but how do we get that to really, really have an impact? Because see, as God's image bearers, we are meant to reflect something of God's nature and character. Therefore, knowing him rather than just knowing a lot about him is crucial if we're going to function as we were designed. So here's the main idea of this morning. This morning, we're going to look at how can we know whether we truly know God or whether we just know a lot about him. In the book of 1 John, the apostle John is writing to people, and many of these people are really struggling with their faith due to some um, influences of false teachers and things like that. And so throughout this letter, what John does, he emphasizes how we live is directly tied to whether or not we truly know God. And we see this especially in today's passage. In today's passage, he tells his readers how they can be assured or how they can be certain that they know God, that they truly know him and not just a lot about him. Now, you'll notice in the verse that Tab Tabitha read, he talks about him. He'll say the word him. So, and John, what's happening here is John is speaking about Jesus. And the reason it's important to look at Jesus, what he says about Jesus when it comes to knowing God is that we know this, that to know, God, to know Jesus is to know who? God. You know Jesus, you know God. So that's what he's doing, and that's what, what John is working in here. So in, in his gospel, he even records an encounter with Jesus and his disciples where Jesus is explaining them. He's talking about his relationship with the Father. And after a little bit, Philip, one of the disciples, cuts to the chase and asks the question. He goes, Lord, show us the Father. You're talking about him. Show us who he is. And it's enough for us. That'll do it. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long, you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now, back in, also back in chapter in chapter 10, when the Jewish leaders are inquiring Jesus or whether or not he's the Messiah, he tells them in part, he says this, I and the Father are one. Must have blown their minds. Absolutely blown their minds. I and the Father are one. 
So we see that if you want to know what God is like, simply look to the life of Jesus. And that's important for this passage. So let's look at it. Let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. I'll read it again. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. There it is. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So how does John say that we can know whether we truly know God or just know a lot about him? He says here, it's whether we obey his commandments or not. That's how we can know if we obey his commandments. We're going to dig into that a little bit here. It's important to note that John is not speaking about him for himself here. These are actually even not even his words. He's proclaiming a message that he heard from Jesus, that Jesus had said back in uh, verse five of chapter one. Remember, he wrote this. We looked at this a while back. He said, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. So it's not John trying to convince. No, Jesus said these very things. He's simply repeating the very words of Jesus here. And back in his gospel, John, uh, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, Jesus said, whoever has, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So John is just repeating what Jesus said. He's trying to help them understand. You want to know? This is what Jesus already said. I'm going to remind you. Now, got to remember, he isn't saying that keeping God's commandments saves us. That's not what he's saying here. We know that we are saved by faith alone. Yet here's the thing. Genuine saving faith. Faith that shows that we, are tru- we, that we truly know God and not just a lot, ab- lot about him will result in keeping his commandments. It will result in us doing what he asks us to do. Because to keep God's commandments simply means a genuine willingness and desire to respond to whatever he asks of us. That's what it is, simply is. What is God asking us to do through the power of his Holy Spirit and through reading the word and being with one another? What is God asking us to do? How is he asking us to live our lives? Our desire and obedience to that is going to show whether we just have a ton of knowledge about God or that we really know him. And so what is it? What is it precisely that God is asking us of us of as his children? What are these commands? What are these commandments? Is it just the Ten Commandments? What is it that I'm supposed to do? Well, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, once again, basically said, here's what they are. And he boiled them down, remember, to two. He said, you want to know all the things that are out there, all the commands, all that? Really, if you think about it, they really boil down to two. You love God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. Simple, right? you should be going, no, not simple, not simple at all. The reality is that the idea of keeping God's commandments, and I'm sure for some of you even have thought this already, can really be a source of guilt and shame for many of us. Oh, okay, Rob's just going to be talking about another way I fall short. I'm already aware of how short I fall. 
Shame time, shame train is coming out of the, out of the, out of the garage. No, that's not, what this, that's not what this is about. But the reality is we are all painfully aware of how short we all fall in our obedience and trying to keep and obey God's commandments. Yet here's the thing. We got to remember that God said, my, keeping my commandments isn't supposed to be burdensome. It's not supposed to be this, okay, I'll do it. Okay, I, I'll make it happen. Remember later on in this letter, actually, John is going to tell us, he's going to say in chapter five, he's going to say, for this is the love of God. Once again, here he goes, to keep his commandments. But then he adds this, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who is born born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. See, the only reason that we are able to truly obey God, his commands is because we have access to his strength and to his power to do so. When it becomes legalism is when it's like, okay, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it on my strength, and because I think I have to do it, I'm going to do it out of guilt. I need to earn favor. That's legalism. We were never meant to do that. It was never meant, it was relying on God's strength and his power to be able to do so. So the pursuit of obeying God's commands, it's imp- when we're doing that, it's important to remind ourselves, okay, I want to obey God. I want to obey his commands, but to remember that I am deeply loved. I am deeply accepted. I am fully pleasing to God. I have a little post-it note on my computer that says those very things. I am, I, am, I, am accept, I am completely accepted by God. I'm absolutely loved by God. I'm fully pleasing to him. Because I have to remind myself. I've been a pastor most of my life. And I've got basic scripture all around my thing telling me constantly who I am. Because I have to be reminded. Because if you're anything like me, I've grown up decades and decades with that inner critic just... So I have to fight it with the truth. So when it comes to obeying his commandments, we got to remember that, how deeply loved we are, who we are, our identity. We do it out of our identity. Here's another example. After spending a lifetime searching for meaning through wealth and through love and through power and possessions and knowledge, King Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter, this is the end of the matter. This is bottom line. This is what I learned. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. As we say, this is what we're here for, to absolutely revere God and do what he says, but not out of guilt and shame, but out of knowing that he loves us. So John and Solomon are telling us that it is through obedience to God that we as Christians find our ultimate purpose and have assurance of a genuineness of our faith. Not just we know a lot about him, we truly know him. Now, conversely, in verse four of our passage this morning, John says, whoever says, I know him, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Bam. He goes right for it. See, we can claim to know God all we want, but if we don't obey or keep his commands, then we're only lying to ourselves and to others. So here's the question. The question is, do you, do I have a genuine willingness and a desire 
to respond to whatever God asks of me. No matter the cost, no matter how difficult it may seem. I want you to keep that question in your head as we go through this, okay? So the first, we're going to see that the first part of verse 5 now reveals to us the result. Here's the result now of obeying or keeping God's commandments. Look what it says. It says, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, I'm just going to spend a two, couple minutes on this, but this is so important here. This phrase, the love of God is perfected, simply, here's what it means, it, and it, but it's powerful. It means that when we obey God, when we obey, when we're willing to do what he tells us to do, live like we're to, he tells us to live, God's love actually matures in us. It grows in us. It becomes stronger in us when we do that. That's what he's saying here. When we are obedient to what God asks of us, we are actually more free to experience the true depths of both his love for us and our love for him. Let me say that again. Because some of you nodded off. I'm kidding, I didn't see that. <laughs> when we are obedient to what God asks of us, we are actually more free to experience the true depths of both his love for us and our, and his, and our love for him. That's powerful stuff. Throughout Scripture, we see that love for God and obedience of, to what he asks, are, are, they're super closely related. It's never just do that because I told you to. So much it's out of love. One commentator I read says that to the extent that we obey Jesus, will we experience his love? And to that extent, only will we truly know him. So love and keeping his commandments are so tied together. Again, the result of obeying or keeping God's commands is both a deeper and richer love for him and an experience of his love for us. All right, the latter half of verse five and six, we actually are given the example. Here's, here's how we do it. Here's the example, or here's the template for how to obey God and to keep his commandments. Look what he says, he says, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Remember, John's talking about Jesus here. Being in him expresses the idea of intimacy. It's this, this unity, this solidarity with Jesus. Really, it's the essence of knowing him and knowing God personally. And when he says abide in him, we are experienced walking with him. It's really this, it's this active term, like in Acts 17, we say where it says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. It's in him. It's through his power. It's in that intimacy of knowing him. To walk as Jesus walks means to live in such a way that reveals our desire to depend on him, to submit to him, to please him, to please our heavenly father, just as he did. In John 6, 38, Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For us, it's a willingness to allow, and this is what I've come to learn so much about, and I'm still learning right now about myself, 
It's to allow our shortcomings. It's to allow our, fear, our fears, our guilt, our shame, not to be things that drive us away to, from God, but actually drive us into a deeper dependence on him. To be able to go, this, I am, I look back at my life and I feel so much shame about that or so much guilt or so much, oh, what's going on? We are meant to, we, should, we are meant to learn how to say, okay, how is that gonna drive me to a deeper dependence? How's that gonna drive me to say, I need Jesus and I need his people? So bad. The hard part is usually what does shame do? Drives us in, right? It drives us quiet. I'm not, I don't want people to truly know who I am. That's the work I'm doing. My own personal work I'm doing right now is that kind of work. Is how do I make sure that, because here's the reality, the truth is I have found in my work with other people and myself is that the best antidote for shame is transparency and vulnerability. That's the antidote for it. Not fixing ourselves, not looking better, but being open and honest with people that love us and care about us. That's gonna free us up to be obedient. That's gonna free us up to know what it means to love. Now, here's the thing. While we will never, in this lifetime, obviously fully walk as Jesus walked, that doesn't mean that it isn't to be our heart's desire to do so. Out of a love for our Heavenly Father and knowing that He perfectly and patiently loves us. So, let me ask you this, another question now. Where do you struggle where do you struggle to walk like Jesus walked? How do you struggle to be obedient to God's commandments, to God's commands? And having a genuine willingness and a desire to respond to whatever he asks of you. Maybe you struggle with a, a wholehearted love for God and a commitment to him. We're told in Scripture to prioritize God above everything else. Or maybe you struggle with loving others. Maybe even a fe fellow brother or sister in Christ, even ones that have hurt you, angered you, or offended you. I cannot tell you in my work that I do with pastors how many pastors and ministry leaders I work with that their major reason they come to see me is the injury they've occurred from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Number one. So learning how to do this, how do I love, and I'm amazed at so many of these brothers and sisters who are able to say, I can still love them, and it just blows my mind, blows my mind, because they're trusting in Jesus. But that's a hard thing to do. I've got others, though, that aren't, <laughs> that aren't doing that and struggling as well, because like I do as well. That can be really hard. What about loving our enemies? We live in a world where we viscerate our enemies, right? You don't agree with me? Here comes a post. You don't agree with me? And boom, bam, we've seen that. It's been two and a half, it's been two years of Christians behaving badly. It needs to stop. That's what he's talking about here. This is the stuff we struggle with, though. We struggle with that. Maybe you struggle with fear. Really, do you know the most repeated command in all of scriptures is what? Do not fear. By far, the most repeated, do not be afraid. Do not fear. To let anxiety and fretting rule our lives. Now, some of you are going, ooh, I am too. <laughs> By the way, I'm going, ooh. Whatever it is that you struggle with, though, here's the biggest thing. Here is what I have learned, and I know that many of you have as well. Here's what I've come to learn. You and I were never, 
when it comes to obeying God's commandments and walking like Jesus walked, we were never, ever meant to do it alone. Never. I know a lot of us agree with that, but we live in such a stinking individualistic culture that, that totally weaves its way into our lives and into our faith, doesn't it? But we were never meant to learn how to obey, be obedient, be the kind of people that God wants us to be on our own. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglect, neglecting to meet together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now this, this phrase, stir up here, means to inspire. It means to, like, to motivate, to stimulate. When was the last time you were motivated, stimulated, inspired by a fellow brother or sister in Christ to be more obedient to God? That's our role. That's what we should be doing with one another. And the best way that we can learn to be obedient and to walk like Jesus is really to stir one another up to do so. We've been a culture of, tell me what I need to do and I'll go figure out how to do it. That's not the Christian faith. Information is good, but we need one another's help to do it. We're the body of Christ, okay? We're together in, we're together in this. Yet here's what, the, here's what I've learned though, is and if we're gonna inspire one another, cheer one another on, call one another out even, this is gonna require that we prioritize developing and nurturing relationships where this can happen, where we can be vulnerable, where we can be known, something that we, we all long for and we all want, but because of a shame and fear and things like that, we, we step back and we present a different side of ourselves. We need relationships that continually remind us, remind each other of the same things that Jesus was reminded of. What did Jesus need to be reminded of right before he went into the desert, right, before, right after his baptism? What was he, do anybody remember what God, his father, reminded of him of before he was about to go in and just be tempted like crazy? This dove came down. The Holy Spirit came down. And what did we hear the father say? Not be strong, bro. Come on, son, you can do it. Come on, you know, hang in there. This is going to be a tough ride the next 40 days. Are going to, ooh, it's going to be rough. No, what was his main message? His main message was, I love you and I am pleased with you. That's what we need to be reminding each other of. You're loved. The Father is pleased with you. I, I know that's all that's gone on in your life, but you are loved. Because of Jesus, you are loved, and he is pleased with you. You know, this is something that Kathy, my wife, and I really came to love about this church. I've been, like I said, pastoral ministry most of my life, left it about a year and a half ago, came here because I knew CJ and then got to know Dave, and we were absolutely blown away. This small little church was, we've told people this many times, the exact kind of church we were looking for. Not perfect, but the kind of church that was doing this, that had the DNA of, no, we are going to know one another, okay? We are going to be vulnerable. I mean, the, the willingness to be so vulnerable and truly be known to us was just, it was, it was mind-boggling. That's, and that's continued on. Our community group is like that. It just blows my mind. We've mentioned, we were, we were talking about just the other night, weren't we? We were just talking about in our group. We were just saying, this group has been amazing. 
And the reason it's been amazing is because we've been able to just be vulnerable. And we've been able to cheer one another on and speak the truth to one another. And that is so powerful. So here's my challenge. Here's how I want to end this. My challenge or my exhortation to us as a church, to you as a church, because I'm leaving in a couple weeks. Desire above all to have a genuine willingness and desire to respond to whatever God asks of you and in turn grow in your love for him and his great love for you, but continue and move into inspiring and motivating one another to do so by continuing to develop, not just develop, but nurture. And in a town where the pace is crazy, it takes work. We talk about this regularly, how many layers, a little layers of difficulty there are about living in San Francisco that just make life harder. And it's playing everything against this whole idea of truly knowing one another, truly being vulnerable, and truly building the relationships that are necessary. You gotta work hard at it here. And this church has been amazing at it. But I wanna, I wanna implore you, keep at it. Push into it. Work hard. It's gonna be messy. Continue to do that. Make it a priority. Don't stop gaining knowledge about God. That's good. We have, I love the preaching here. I love that. It's an expository. Books through the Bible. I love that. Although next series is on money. So, sorry. But, um, but I love that that's what we do. We value the word. Don't stop. Have time with the Lord regularly. Spend time learning more about him. That's a good thing. But as you do, make it a priority then to what God is teaching you. Invest that in others. Keep investing that in other people. I got to tell you, my wife and I, we always talk about the fact that we feel so old here because there's really no one that's really a member that's like over 40 years old or 41 or whatever. So we're like, but I got to tell you, we have learned, we've, it has upped my game being in this church. You guys have upped our game because of the willingness to be vulnerable and the willingness to do, not just do life together, but to really speak the truth of the gospel to one another. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Do it, it's gonna sound weird, do it no matter how long that person's gonna stick around, okay? We can't all be unicorns like the Davises and have lived in San Francisco for 17 years. <laughs> That's not going to happen much. Um, people are going to come and go. This church already, I'm looking out right now, well, most of our members are on vacation, I can tell right, right now. But I was talking to someone, uh, CJ's wife, a year ago, and she said, oh yeah, we're only seven years old, but we're on our third iteration of our congregation at least. That's church in San Francisco. Don't let that stop you. Don't. Don't let it stop you from pouring in. And as the Spirit leads you to be vulnerable, to speak the truth of the gospel in, in the daily situations of life, I can tell you it has a huge impact. Kathy and I, we can attest to that. We can totally attest to that. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for <clears throat> your word. Thank you for the challenge of scripture. Thank you for the challenge that we are called to, called to be obedient. We are called to be obedient children. 
So God, would you help us to do that by the power of your spirit? And God, would you continue and empower us and encourage us and help us to be strong and courageous in doing that with one another? It's so easy to feel like, well, I don't have much to give. But God, we have the spirit of God in us. God, show, I pray for every person that calls this church home and even those that are visiting. God, that they would see that they are valued and loved and the power that comes from that in spurring one another to love and good works. I pray it in Christ's name, amen.